Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. All right, welcome back to the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, and where in the world is Chris Sinzak? Chris Sinzak's on vacation, but he's going to be joining us here in just a few minutes as we sit down and talk to Jeff Scott Soto. Now, let me tell you something, people. Even if you're not a huge Jeff Scott Soto fan, and why wouldn't you be? This guy is amazing. But even if you're not, you're really going to enjoy today's conversation because it goes all over the place. And this was one of the most fun ones I think we've ever done. So I think Sonny Pooney will even be proud of us for our conversation with Jeff Scott Soto today. And mostly it was thanks to you guys who sent in some awesome questions and made it real easy on us. Now, to kick things off, how do we do it? We take care of the business. Well, problem with that is, is I have no idea if we have any reviews. And honestly... I don't even know where to go look. Chris is the technical one. He handles all that. What I do know is we've got a whole bunch of geeks of the week. Yeah, this list is pretty big. That's pretty wild. Last week, we do the new noise. Chris tells us the story about Vinnie Vincent wanting to come back and piggyback off of Rockin' Pod 3. That's not happening. Uh Uh-uh. No way. And Chris laid it all out for us, and everybody seemed to dig it. You know, the new noise thing, it started out as kind of a... Oh man, what are we going to do? We ain't got time to research nothing big. Let's just talk about what's current. And it turns out that's something you guys really seem to dig. So look forward to more of those. So let me run down the list here real quick because I actually gathered the Geeks of the Week. I can handle that much, right? Well, here we go. Geeks of the Week this week are, these are the ones they shared and retweeted last week's episode. These are they. James Nicholson, Dodd Vernon, Scott Crouch, Christina Green, Sam Bone Promos, James West, Mike Grabowski, Rockin' Ron and Decibel Geek TV, Greg McGlone, Warren Edward, LaRue Baker, Matt Ashcraft, Aaron Baker, and the Bakery Podcast, Josh Toomey, of course, of Talk Toomey Podcast. You guys got to check that out. Also, Baco of Cobras and Fire. Check them out. There's so many great podcasts out there that we're friends with. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Martin Wenham, David Davis, Kevin Williams, The Mighty K, Eric Sinzak, the brother of rock and roll, Marianne Cowley, Mrs. Cowley, Mike Parnell, Ray Coon of the band Dawn of the Rising. They got a new album out called Airwaves. He sent it to me. 
it's freaking awesome. Go check out Dawn of the Rising. Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. Otto, Erlen Gregerson, Adam Cox, Chris Aiken, The Classic Metal Show, James McElhenney, Adam Cox. Oh, I said that already. <laughs> Maybe this isn't as easy as I thought. Derek Leba, Brant Cattell, Mikhail Burrell. Oh, boy, I'm getting worse. Mark Alden Taylor, Bill Elam. David Glynn, Freeform Rock Podcast, Joe Lascon, Jay Shablewski, Anthony Britt, the CGCM Podcast, our Canadian homeboys, Wally and Rich. Nice. Um, let's see. Trevor McDougal, Kiss Army Omaha, Rob Harris, Greg Troyan, Podcast Rock City, The Kiss Room, Rock and Metal Combat, Shane Abair, Simon Cat, Wayne Cross, Shane Hargett, Mike Parnell, Joseph Capone, and of course, the Mooger Fooger. Fooger, Fooger, All right, let's see. Well, since I don't have any reviews or anything, let me just get all this stuff out of the way before we get into our awesome conversation with Jeff Scott Soto. I got to tell you, there's some really, really cool stuff going on over at decibelgeek.com right now. The Meister and Sean Animalize Irwin, they have taken over Sweden, going to all kinds of rock festivals. I know Sean has sent back a bunch of awesome photos from Sweden Rock. And the Meister, man, he's writing reviews and he's been all over Northern Europe, hitting every rock and roll show along the way. And you can check that all out at decibelgeek.com. Tom Cornell's got an awesome review of the new Death Angel album, Humanicide. Uh, Sammy Hagar in The Circle. Yeah, it's a new band. A lot of Sammy Hagar fans I know. You might want to check this out. Jeremy Bernardski checked it out, and he's going to let you know what it's all about. Check it all out right now at decibelgeek.com. Do it. It's an awesome website. A lot of people put a lot of hard work into it, so you can enjoy it. And you know what? If you like us on Facebook, then you already know all that stuff because Coxie's there, and he's giving you all the news, letting you know everything that's happening at decibelgeek.com and making it fun, you know, leading the conversation over there. If you have not liked Decibel Geek Podcast, yet well check this out at last check we were like a mere one like 117 likes away from 7,000. invite your friends if you got friends that are rock and rollers it's really easy all you got to do is head on over to the facebook page you'll see the little button there that says invite friends and what you can do is just go down your list of friends and invite them if they're cool they'll accept it and the more and more the more conversation. And that's what it's really all about because, I mean, the conversation's been bigger and better on Decibel Geek Facebook page than it really truly ever has been. And that makes it a local music scene with a worldwide audience or whatever, however that goes. Uh, let's see what else, what else? Oh, Decibel Geek TV. Hey, Rock and Ron's got the latest video episode of The Wolf Den up, and that includes some backstage stuff with Tora Tora and Slaughter. He's also got footage of two of Rock's best tribute acts, Van Holen and Idol X. That's Van Halen and Billy Idol tributes, and you got to check those out. Also got some cool stuff with Babylon AD. It's all over at decibelgeek.com on the YouTube. And hey, Ron needs some more videos. So if you guys are out there, you're catching bands, all you got to do, film a complete song. Not cut off halfway in between. Not a song and a half. One complete song. Or more than one. Just as long as they're complete. You send them over to Rock and Ron. That way he can make up his little MTV style uh, stamp for the bottom corner when the video starts just like back in the day and that's going to have your name on it the venue it was recorded at the date and all that good stuff so you'll be internet famous thanks to rock and ron runyon and the fact that 
you were rocking out at a show anyway, and you probably took some video, but you just took the time to make sure you got a complete song, and look at there, you're on Decibel Geek TV. So how about that? And of course, I got to tell you about Rockin' Pod 3. That's August 9th and 10th in Nashville at the Nashville Hotel Marriott. It's going to be live music Friday night with 8-Ball, Lipstick Generation, and the Rock and Roll Residency and friends. That's right, because you never know who's going to be jumping up to jam with these guys. I know for a fact that some of them are. And let's just think about it for a second. Who's all going to be at Rockin' Pod, right? That's on the 10th. That's on Saturday. These people are probably going to be floating around on Friday night. Want to have something to do? Want to get up and jam with the Ace Fraley slash Gene Simmons band, right? The Rock and Roll Residency. Who wouldn't want to do that? So who could be possibly jumping up on stage with them Friday night? Well, at the Rock and Pod Expo, we're having the entire Roxy Blue Band, Drew Fortier from Zen from Mars, Jeremy Barber from Green Jello, Stephen Chereau from Kick Tracy, Drew and Jim from Wildside, Rick Rule from Every Mother's Nightmare, super producer Toby Wright. I don't know if he's going to jump up and sing anything. Jack Gibson from Exodus, Erie Vaughn from Danzig, Jason Beeler from Saigon Kick, Brian Forsyth from Kicks, and Michael Sweet from Striper. That's just to name a few, because I know Chris Sinzak isn't done yet. He's still trying to find more guests. If that wasn't enough, he's still out there trying to find more. He needs to be on vacation, take a couple days away and recharge all this. But I mean, it's amazing because any one of those guys could jump up on stage with the Rock and Roll Residency and who knows what they're going to play. Actually, Chris had told me a little something, and I know I'm not supposed to say anything, but he told me the possibility of a couple of songs that Michael Sweet may possibly be doing on Friday night. And if he does and gets up and does these songs, this is something a Striper fan, or hell, any fan of rock and roll is got to see this because it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I'm telling you, it's pretty crazy, crazy awesome. So then what do you got? You party down on Friday night with us at the pre-party, and then the next day, because you were probably smart and you stayed at the Hotel Marriott, so you were right there, you didn't have to drive nowhere, you got done partying, you went up to your room, you got some sleep, you came back down, boom, Rockin' Pod Expo. What's going on at the Rockin' Pod Expo? Well, there's a company there, or a group or something, they're called PBX. They're going to be there to teach you how to podcast, or maybe just how to podcast a little better. There's going to be vendors there with LPs, CDs, and rock memorabilia for you to purchase and then take on over to your favorite rock stars and get it autographed because they're going to be there. Lots of rock swag for you to check out. The Rock and Pod Museum. It's got some important pieces like historic rock history, and you're going to be able to check that out. One-of-a-kind stuff. Last year, they had some stage-worn stuff from stars, like crazy 70s outfits. They were super cool. You're going to have chances to win rockin' raffles throughout the day. That's going to be amazing. Plus contests. There's going to be a rockin' metal-themed cosplay contest. So you're probably going to see people dress up like Kiss, hopefully Twisted Sister, maybe some Wasp, maybe some Guar. I want to see some people dress up as Guar. How cool would that be? All that plus your opportunity to meet the rock stars themselves for photo ops and autographs. Man, how cool is that? That's Rockin' Pod Expo 2019 on Facebook. You're going to find all the links right there to get you your tickets, your hotel discount, so you can all stay right. We're going to all stay right together. We're going to keep each other protected within the rock and roll of our floors and our rooms. So get in on that and do it quick before those rooms are gone. You want to get in right by us, right by the rock stars. We're going to party together. We're going to all sleep in the same area. It's going to be like rock and roll camp amazing i can't wait so check that out all the links everything you need to know rockandpod.com how sweet it's gonna be 
there you go. I blew enough time, so let's get to it. This is pretty amazing. I don't know how much you guys know about Jeff Scott Soto. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I do, because Sonny Pooney taught us all about Jeff Scott Soto. Well, today we're going to learn a little bit more because this guy was the coolest. He told us, ask me anything. And we took our own questions, plus the questions our friends submitted at the Facebook page, and we laid it all out on the line. Enjoy this. It's myself, Aaron Camaro, and my good buddy, Chris Sinzak. And we sit down and talk to the one and only Jeff Scott Soto. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? Oh, good. I'm so happy to have you on the line. I think you've done like every, all of our friends' shows, and it's finally our turn. Yeah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> So I essentially I think we obviously we want to promote the new record which is cool. Sure. Do you mind us going we through some anything you want to talk about? Okay, so that's we'll, cool. We'll, we'll, we got like a grab bag of fan questions too. We do. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it all. All awesome. right. Cool. Well, Jeff Scott Soto, welcome to Decibel Geek. How you guys doing? We're great, man. Yeah, it's great to have you. And what what part of the world are you in today? I'm actually still back at home. Um I'm working on the new Sons of Apollo record while I'm doing all the promotions for the new soda record so nice. it's a non-stop process and i wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> awesome and yeah sons of apollo that i mean that there's been so much good press for that album and that was one of my top albums of the year and uh that, that song coming home and this is just for my own curiosity's sake to me it sounds like almost like a modern metal version of white room by cream am i far off on that i'll take it i mean we weren't going for that and i don't personally hear that but you know that's a classic song and uh Anytime you're gonna, if, if it depends on the song you're gonna compare me to. Okay. <laughs> if well, you're gonna say, yeah, it sounds like a modern day version of Achy Breaky Heart, then I, I might be offended. <laughs> no, you haven't done your country album just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, but now the main riff in it just has kind of the similar similar chord structure to, to White Room, and I'm like, this is like White Room on steroids. I, lo- I love that song. Yeah, I think I think it was more based or derived from the Who. You know, the Who always had those kind of. Uh, those kind of ascending keyboard lines like Bob O'Reilly and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Yeah. And I, I think that's also where the, the idea of doing that shriek at the beginning, that that's crazy ass scream that I do. Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of like, kind of reminds us of the who. And, and that's, uh, I wanted to kind of pay homage to, uh, to Roger Daltrey. That's cool. Very cool. Hey, speaking of achy, breaky heart, I know we got some really great fan questions, but I got one for you. There's a legend right. that you and Phil Susan along with Tommy Thayer, way before he was ever a member of KISS, made a country song. Is that true? I think it was a it was a song it was a pop song, but I think maybe they did a country version of it later. I'm I'm not too sure about the actual that uh, my memory's really foggy, but I remember doing a song that Phil had written and it was more of a pop flavor. It wasn't rock at all. And maybe somewhere along the way they did a country version of it. I don't remember if I sang on that version or not. Because, again, that was so long ago. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great question because you basically stumped me. It's something I nice. actually sang on. <laughs> but uh, I don't remember what our version ended up sounding like. So um, I'd have to ask Phil if we ever did that version or that kind of spin on it. But nice. your your guess is as good as mine. That's cool. Mystery. Well, my, um, my first experience seeing you live was with Journey here in Nashville on the Journey Def Leppard tour. At a right, right. place called Starwood Amphitheater is no longer there anymore. But um, oh, pity. But yeah. that was. Yeah, I remember meeting uh, uh, what's his face, um, 
uh, country dude, Australian country guy. Uh, oh, Keith like, Urban. I remember his name right now. Was it Keith yeah, Ur- Keith Urban. Yeah. He was there with Nicole Kidman. And I remember them after uh, in our green room saying hello to them. They were, I guess, they were friends with some of the Def Leppard guys, and of course. Keith is a huge fan of Neil Sean's, you know, naturally guitar players. They they kind of bond. Yeah. But uh, it was really cool meeting them, and yeah, I remember that gig. Yeah, that was it was a fun night. Only um, in Nashville. I don't remember much because I had several beers before we went into the into the show. Ah, uh, you uh, see. But, uh, but I was sober enough guys. for you guys. <laughs> I was drunk. I was drunk through Def Leppard. <laughs> um, and I remember Neil right. coming out and doing the uh, Star Spangled Banner at the beginning of the set. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that that was something he did. I think he did it just at uh, a Fourth of July gig, and it went over so well. He just decided to keep it in his in the intro because it just he, he played it so great. Yeah. So with that gig, I know you've talked about it a million times, but just for our curiosity, like I mean, how do you end up getting that gig? And had, did you know those guys going in beforehand? Well, yeah, Neil and I had the band Soul Circus the, right. the year before. We'd done, uh, well, we, we met in 2004, so at that point we already had two years under our belt, and in two years, it didn't take him long to realize that Journey was so in my bloodstream, in my DNA, even though, uh, you know, I never set out to be a, a Perry clone, he knew I was so well-steeped in that world, because both Perry and I were, were basically raised on Motown, we were raised on soul music, so even not necessarily sounding like Perry or trying to be a Perry clone, we come from the same, we cut from the same cloth, so to speak. Right. So knowing that it, it was an obvious decision and they were in a bind. Um, Neil knew I could, I could handle the entire catalog and I knew the entire catalog without reading on a teleprompter or, or sending the guys off to uh, a rehearsal so we can get the set down. I mean, I literally got that gig. I flew out and my, with, with no rehearsal, just a 10 minute sound check, I was on stage in front of 22,000 people. Wow. So it was, it was the confidence that Neil had in me because of the, the band that we had before. Mm. Otherwise he wouldn't have known that he, he wouldn't have known that about anybody that he could just call on the Johnny on the spot and get, just fly him out and do the tour. Right. And yeah, it, it was a great experience. I absolutely love singing and fronting one of my all time favorite bands, you know, since I was a kid, you know, it didn't, uh, unfortunately didn't end the way I would have liked it to, but, uh, in the end, it was it was an amazing experience, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, yeah, it's such a unique experience too. How many guys get the like I said, the experience of taking over lead vocals for such a huge, well-established band? What's what's the best part and the worst part of a situation like that where you're coming in and replacing somebody in a band that's already iconic? Well, the best part is the obvious. Everything I've already explained. It was. Uh, it's a dream come true that all the songs that you've sung in the shower, in the car, with your friends on a party night out, in cover bands, in karaoke, all those amazing songs you've done basically all your life, to now be doing them with the band that created them was is, it was a dream come true. Awesome. But obviously the worst part of it all, aside of being canned, the worst part of it is a situation like, say, jumping into Queen, where Freddie Mercury is gone. There's no way there will ever be a Freddie Mercury to come back into the band. Right. The fact that Steve Perry's alive and well... And active or inactive, nobody really knew. They didn't really care. All they cared about is that he's alive and why is he not fronting his old band? Right. So you, you get you get slammed from all places. I mean, Jerry got it. Arnell got it. Everybody gets it because Perry was the originator of those amazing songs. And those, those you know, that, that voice is just undeniable. So you get in a situation where, hey, well, hang on. This is not the guy that replaced Perry. Perry's down the street, you know, going to baseball games and making appearances. So he's clearly active and he's alive. 
why do they have this clown? Yeah. So that was, that's always the hard part, you know, getting over that hump of being accepted when the other guy is still out there and able still to do it. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Now, yeah, it, yeah. It would have been different if, you know, if Perry was in the same situation as somebody like Freddie Mercury and, uh, you know, you guys want the music, you want to see the band live, you're going to have to love it or lump it. This is, this is what we're giving you. Right on. That's true. Did you ever end up crossing paths with Steve Perry at any point? Not during this situation, no. Um, I met him through the years. Uh, basically, the early 90s, I think, was the last time I saw him. First time and last time I saw him because he's such a recluse. Mm. A, a recluse, I, I don't know if you want to call it that. He's just a very private person. And when he when he lays low, he lays low. You don't know where he's at. You don't see him. You don't hear from him. He's got a circle of people that he trusts. And that's it. You know, I, I met him, I think the last time was in 91 or 92. Mm. And I had I haven't seen him since. But it was pretty incredible for him to step up in my defense when he did an, he, a very rare interview he did with a buddy of mine, Andrew McNeese. And Andrew brought my name up. And, and Perry went to my defense saying that he thinks Journey made a mistake that of all the singers or anybody they could have gotten, they should have stuck with me. Right. And that's that alone is the biggest validation I could ever get in my lifetime Absolutely. that somebody like Perry, somebody I, I hail and I, I have such high regard actually stepped up for me like that without, without me saying it or asking him to, it was just a really neat thing to happen. Yeah. For yeah sure. Coming from him, that really means something. Yeah. No kidding. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, and it's probably, it probably came from a place where he knew that the band were getting guys that were trying to sound like him or just trying to emulate him. And I think his, what, what he meant by, that validation was that I could have taken them to another place without necessarily having to copy the place that everybody knows them from. So, and again, I'll take it for for what it's worth. I think it's an amazing validation. Speaking of recluses, you do have a history with, uh, um, I would, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't bring up the Vinnie Vincent connection. And, and one of our friends all, who uh, named Sonny Pooney, who, who's interviewed you, and he's like, he's literally a walking encyclopedia of Jeff Scott uh-huh. Soto. And, and he, <laughs> God bless Sonny. He's wonderful. And he, um, he actually sent Aaron and I, um, it was like a biography of you. It's a full hardback book and everything with your whole career in it. Have you seen that book? I don't think so. Oh, uh, wow. I, I, I well, gotta reach out and get yeah, a I'll, copy then. Yeah, I'll tell Sonny to send you a copy. Yeah, it's pretty um, awesome. Cool. But like uh Vinnie Vincent has always been a very interesting character, and I was like really looking forward to opening this book to see, like, well, I gotta see all the Vinnie Vincent stories in here. And I open it up and it basically is like Jeff got demos, sang on the demos, end of story. <laughs> so it was like there wasn't a lot of one on one connection with you and him, I'm hearing. Well, yes and no. I mean, again, Vinny is—he was a very soft-spoken, quiet guy. He's not—he's not a wild rock and roll character, like especially what he was portraying himself to be, either in Kiss or with the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. You know, he was very outlandish with the with the colors and the the uh, freakishly fast guitar playing, etc. But behind the scenes, he was a very soft-spoken, delicate family man. Mm-hmm. The small experience I have with him was exactly that. I was singing background on uh i think it was a couple of songs on that vinnie vincent invasion album but mark was actually singing background on the entire cooney album because we were doing both right. albums simultaneously dana was producing cooney during the day and then vinnie vincent at night at the same studio he was doing double duties mm. so mark was coming in with us and then met vinnie before but one day we just got to talking and and he comes from that same background he loves soul music he loves the the, the whole motown thing and so he goes man just knowing your voice and knowing your characteristic, I think you would be great for these demos that I wrote. He wrote songs for a publishing company. He had a publishing deal that he had to turn in X amount of songs 
per year, you know, they were giving him pretty good dollar for writing songs for like Celine Dion and Michael Bolton, that kind of thing. Mm. So he said, these songs have no rock value whatsoever. They're really pop, borderline R&B pop. And I'd love to have your voice on on just getting them done so I can submit them to my publishing company. And that's exactly what they were. Uh, they, everybody thinks that we were working on a project together that just never happened or right. it was nothing of the sort. It was I was he was just fulfilling his publishing agreement. And and I got to work with him at his house and he, he was really particular in what he wanted and how to sell them, because clearly they couldn't have any rock and roll value whatsoever. They would not fit for what he was actually signed for. Right. So these songs, I guess they were completed by the time you became involved in it. Does that include the lyrics? Um, I, and I wouldn't go so far as completed. They were really, really um, the borderline terrible demos. <laughs> yeah. Because again, when you do those kind of songs, you don't really, you don't want to really paint them too much towards the way an artist would sing them if, if they were doing it as an actual song or for an album. So he didn't want it to sound too much, have too much characteristic and too much personality because clearly that's whoever's going to hear the song and when they're pitching it to a, a particular artist, it's going to be typecast. Right. So it was, it had to be pretty. Uh, how do how do I put this? Generic, I'm trying not huh? to. Yeah, just really simple and really not no no personality behind it. Let's I'll leave it at that. So they the demos themselves were really just skeletal mm. and yeah exactly that he wrote the lyrics he wrote the melodies and i was just basically connecting the dots right was Vinny in the studio when you were doing the vocals again not even a studio it was at his home studio and back then home studios are not what they are today yeah. he had a, a very basic home studio we did it in his living room converted studio at that time Gotcha. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, again, I know because there's always been rumors for years that, you know, well, Jeff Scott Soto was almost the singer for Vinnie Vincent Invasion. And I know nope. that that went around a lot, but I know you've cleared it up over the years. Well, you know what? I, I will extend to that because I'm not going to say that I was, I was going to be in the invasion, but when Slaughter was already fully on their way, Vinny wanted to continue and he was he was getting new songs together with Fleischman and myself hmm. either either to release as a new solo album or the next version of Invasion and he did bring me in the studio for that I don't know I don't remember if it was for backing vocals or if it was to sing lead but again it was just another miserably failed attempt at doing something and it just it went nowhere right. and to be honest at that point i knew Vinny enough to know that it'd be best for me not to get involved with him because it, it just there's i i oh man it's it's so difficult i don't want to talk badly about anybody but Vinny's the kind of artist that kind of needs his hand held and to kind of he expects others to do everything for him as, yeah. as opposed to running out and do it in himself and i didn't want to be in a situation where i had to hold somebody's hand I, I i always like to surround myself with people who are as ambitious as i am and and you know that we all have the same kind of game plan yeah and it, 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 it wouldn't have been for me let's just leave it at that i got you i got you cool Thank you. well thanks for clearing that up for us um my favorite one of the the listener uh questions which comes from our friend Baco at the Cobras and Fire podcast. He, he said, have you ever witnessed Ingve unleashing the fucking fury? Many a time, unfortunately. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's again, I've, I've gotten to this point in my life where bashing or talking shitty about other people or or even if it's the truth it, it really it's not going to get anybody anywhere sure of course it's it, it, it makes for everybody talking and it makes for blabbermouth headlines and that at this point i've got nothing bad to say about ingve whether our relationship is fractured or not 
that was my beginning. That was my humble beginning. The guy trusted me mm-hmm. to front his band, to, to step up and actually front his band. He, he gave me that trust and respect. So as far as I'm concerned, I got nothing but love for the guy for giving me that opportunity. That was the launch of my career. Without him, it would have, it might have gone somewhere else. It might have taken longer, whatever, you, however you want to slice it. Sure. But the way that history designed itself, I'm so happy that I was able to do that stuff with him. And, and we planted a seed of of greatness as far as I'm concerned. We so to this day, that's it, it's it's such a pivotal album. It's such a pivotal sound that we created or I was able to create with him yes. that I get high regard for. So yeah. I'm not gonna talk yeah. any more shit about the guy. You know, he he's his own person. He's the way he is mm-hmm. based on uh you know, he's always been that way. It's not like he became an asshole because he was uh, a rock star. He just he had a vision and he doesn't like anybody to get in his way or anybody to try and take that away from him. Right. So I got to respect that. Sure. Uh, well, another question from along the listeners were, were you ever considered for Trilogy? No, because I was already out of the band by then. Okay. It was my decision to leave the band. And obviously they had to replace me and they, they got uh, Mark Bowles at that time. But it was only because Mark wasn't working out while that tour was actually happening that I came back to the fold. Mm. I, I was working on... Uh, another uh, one of my first bands of uh, because the, I left the band to join up with Rudy Sarzo, Tommy Aldridge, but when that didn't happen, I, I started my own band. While I was launching that, I got a call from Ingves Camp saying that they were having issues with Mark on the road, and would I consider if they let him go, would I consider rejoining the band to to step in for the tour? And because things were so slow with what was going on with the band, I was starting. I welcomed it. I, I needed the cash. I needed the. I guess. I could have used the extra notoriety that of, of stepping back in with Ingve. So it worked out for both of us. He needed somebody and I kind of needed him. Yeah. Well, would you ever work with him again if he extended the offer? I used to say no. I used to say hell no. I used to say so many other versions of fuck no. But at this point, I would exercise any attempt at uh even for the sake of of relationships just because as i said at this age as as i'm getting older i'm seeing friends going i don't want any animosities i want to leave this earth with peace in my heart and that goes with everybody that i've ever worked with it goes with everybody i've ever known right so in the sense of getting to that point i would do it in a heartbeat gotcha you know back in the day bob kulik was able to get you two guys back together on a track for that butchering the beatles tribute album oh boy did we boy and did man, we butcher it <laughs> oh man that magical mystery tour cover you guys did is one of the coolest oh, yeah. cover songs i've ever heard in my entire life it might be the best how well, is it well, that thank you guys you for that because to... i was i was waiting for you to say why did you guys do that <laughs> no it's it's so cool man it's so cool well and, and i'm glad they went with that title because anytime you do a beatles cover anytime you do a cover of any classic song it's it's usually butchered anyways, but the fact that they 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 kind of use the metaphor of butchering in the sense of heaving it up, you know, you right. when it's butchered, it's it's like it's bloody and it's meaty and it's and that's basically that was the metaphor they were going for. But on the other hand, they were kind of doing a little piss take in the fact that uh, you guys, that this is not your normal Beatles cover. We're we're literally butchering the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I, I, love that. I love that album myself. I How does it, I mean, is that the kind of situation where you just get like a MP3 or a wave or whatever of what Ingve's done and then you lay your vocals on it? Or is that something you guys actually spend time together to create? No, he, he everybody was done separately for those tracks. I, I went into the studio and worked with Bob to get my vocals done after the, uh, the, the, all the guitars and all the 
the main tracks were done and then whatever was left over they they overdub later and then they go to mix it uh, none of those sessions were done together i don't right. i don't uh, maybe maybe a drummer and a bass player but none of the tracking with guitars and singers were done together mm. so do you ever get a chance to call at least call Ingve and be like man nice job we really killed it with that one uh no we haven't had any communication whatsoever since 2009 when uh, Marcel Jacob took his life, Ingve had his his kind of issues with Marcel, and I just found it a bit disrespectful that Ingve didn't just brush it all under the rug. You know, his friend, his old friend, was dead now, and the fact that he wouldn't acknowledge it. In, in fact, it was the opposite. We would reach out to Ingve trying to get even just to get the news to him, much less to get an acknowledgement. And when it was completely brushed and didn't want anything to do with it. That's when I said, Marcel was one of, he was my brother mm -hmm. for somebody to do that. I, 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 re I really took it offensively, but at this point, you know, I'm reaching out, I'm, I'm sending out the, uh, the, the olive branch. And as far as I'm concerned, that's water under the bridge. I, I really don't care why or what it's, it has nothing to do with me. It, it had nothing to do with me in the first place. I shouldn't have taken sides and, and I would welcome any chance to resurrect my friendship with Ingve. And the same goes with Neil Sean or anybody else I've ever worked with that's kind of fractured or seems fractured. I just don't want that kind of, I, I want peace before I go, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. we're not getting any younger here. And as I'm seeing people go and, and just like, I don't want any regrets. I don't want any, anybody thinking of me any different than I am. I, the, the kind of person I want to, to be represented. Right. That's cool. I That's can dig cool. it. Um, and, and speaking of Sonny Pooney, he had a question. He's, he's asking is, is there music you have done with some of your heroes that has never seen the light of day? And will you re release a Gene Simmons style vault? Well, I don't want to speak too soon, but I've, I am talking to frontiers records about something special, I have a 20 year anniversary with this company coming up in a few years mm -hmm. and we're talking about something really special to get to, to, to be doing. But, uh, I don't really have anything out that that's sitting in the kind of vault, so to speak, that's never seen the light of day. Pretty much everything that I've done is, is out there at some form of capacity, even if it's, uh, it's out there as a bootleg. Mm -hmm. So I, you know what? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think there's anything out there that I'm going to shock the world with. Like, whoa, wh how's he been sitting on that for this long? <laughs> right. Mm, gotcha. That's too bad. Hey, speaking of Gene Simmons, way back in the day, you helped out the House of Lords on their debut album with backing vocals. Right. Was Gene around during that process? Do you have any run-ins or, uh, I guess, not run-ins, interactions with him in the studio? No, he was never in the studio. Well, not when I was doing backing vocals. It was, it was basically a, a day or two that they they uh, delegated just for backing vocals. So in those two days that I was in the studio with them, no, the, I never met Gene there, but I remember, I remember house of Lords. I remember go, I went to see them at, uh, at the forum. I forgot who they were opening for. And I was backstage and Gene was there and I've known Chuck Wright for, I don't know how many years. And, uh, we were just talking and he goes, Oh, I got to say hi to Gene. I go, dude, you have to introduce me. I've never met him. He goes, you never met Gene. Oh, well, come on. I'll introduce you because that's just, that's, naturally how you want to be introduced to your peers you don't want to just go up and hey i'm i'm jeff you ever heard of me yes right, <laughs> it's kind, yeah. kind of wanky right. so I, I went with chuck to go meet him and uh he goes hey gene uh, this is jeff scott soto and hey, you know jeff this is gene and i remember him go oh jeff scott soto the man who'll sing on anybody's album for a buck oh i'm like are you kidding me right now? that was 
my first introduction to Gene. He just couldn't help himself. And you should have said Gene Simmons, the guy that will slap the Kiss logo on anything for a buck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> I thought of it years later. It's like, oh, the, the guy who, right. who put his his image on a coffin yeah. you know, for a buck. Yeah, but then he pulled out a buck and said, I got something for you, Jeff. I need your help. Yeah. The yeah. Lord's help. One thing you learn in this business, don't try to heckle Gene Simmons. Oh, yeah. Because he, the guy's far too clever. The, the worse you can give him, he's going to give it to you tenfold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, he's been around for a while. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, I'm, one thing I want to a couple of Saigon, Saigon Kick type related things. Oh, well, first off, you're doing all this whole series of shows with Jason Beeler around the country, and um, I'm a big follower of Jason Beeler, and he's actually going to be a guest at the uh, Rock and Pod Expo that I put on every August. Yeah, we're excited. Oh, cool. Yeah, and we're excited to have him there. Would love to have you there if we you want to talk about it, but um. This has been interesting, and, and he's he's definitely one of my favorite people on social media to follow because he's one of the wittiest people I've ever seen. But Absolutely. How did that uh, brotherhood kind of come together, and, and how did it get, how did it get rolling? Well, I've known Jason since 1988. It's crazy. I've known him that long. I've known him as long as my son's been alive, oh. and my son just turned 31. So um, we were supposed to do something. When I first met him, we were supposed to do something that never surmised, and he was nobody. He was just a. a snot-nosed kid with uh with a great guitar riff we finished the first talisman record uh we needed a live guitar player the guy that played on the first album he had really bad stage fright i said hey i know this kid he's really good he's in florida and i think it'd be great let's see if he'd be interested jason came on did that tour he basically finished that tour came home and started saigon kick and we stayed friends through all the years i watched him develop and become who he became i think it was a couple years ago i basically told him when i knew the saigon kick was uh on its way out again i said man i have this bucket list wish we could do one saigon kick show where i'm fronting the band I mean, it would be so fun i love those songs mm-hmm. I, I can imagine how fun it would be to do it yeah, and so he put that in the back of his brain as he was going out and venturing into this whole acoustic troubadour thing he goes dude why don't we team up and first of all the first time i came up and did love is on the way with him it went out it went over so well he thought, man, we could have some fun doing this kind of stuff. We do an entire show together because, as you said, he's so witty. The banter that we have together, just <laughs> it's just undeniable. Yeah. So that's how it started. It started with coming in for one song and turned into, why don't I do a few songs with him? And now it's turned into, we're, we're taking this thing as a, a serious road show. That's we great. got an agent and we're, we're doing the whole thing now. That's so cool. When I confirmed him for the expo, I said, can you send me a preferred photo you want used? And he sends me a picture of his head superimposed on Napoleon Dynamite's body. (laughs) 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 He says, will this work? And I was like, well, can you send me something a little more serious? I'll use that one later down the road because it is glorious. But it was just, he sent me all these hilarious pictures of his head superimposed on other people's bodies. He's so funny. Of course. Yeah, he's... (laughs) I, I love his wit. I love his goofiness, and it's uh, it's it's perfect. I, I I just love the guy. Yeah, he had alluded to something in that book that we were talking about earlier about his early days in Talisman, and something about studded leather leader hosen. Can you fill in the story on that? Uh, that's probably another Jason elaboration. It's I don't think <laughs> unless something. Unless something happened where I wasn't a part of Beelerism. Yeah. You didn't force him to wear them in Germany or nothing like that? No, 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 no. <laughs> Who knows then? <laughs> Thought there'd be a funny story behind that. <laughs> 
Well, you know what? I'm not going to blow it. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll just leave it open ended. So if there is a funny story, I'll let him say it. But okay. as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't around for something like that. We'll ask him at Rock and Pod. <laughs> yeah, we'll ask him there. Um, so uh, and then on saying on the Saigon Kick thing, um, do you? I'm sure you remember Tom Defile. Yeah. Okay. So I, he made a comment on here and said to ask you about your experience singing on the first album. An interesting story. He sang on "Come Take Me Now" and "My Life." A big debacle about theory. We put minor over major. Not done. Ask him that stuff and why and why you haven't said hello. <laughs> well, Tom, I absolutely—it's it, actually top, through Tom that I met Jason because they knew each other. This is before Saigon Kick, and I got a referral for Tom as a bass player from Wally Voss, who was the bass player in Ingve on the Trilogy Tour, mm. and. and he knew I was doing something new and Tom was looking to relocate to, to LA. And, and he said, you know, check out, I, I do bass classes with this guy. He's one of my students and he's really good. And he's the one that referred him to me. And so Tom flew out. I met him and through that, he was playing me some demos, some things that he'd done. And on the guitar was Jason. That's how I knew about Jason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, it's, it's a common thing for people who are not schooled theoretically with music to, do major over minor they just do things because they sound cool or they think it sounds cool but then when somebody some asshole like me comes along and says um you guys realize that doesn't fit or that note doesn't work over that chord or that doesn't work over that uh, phrasing they look at me like i have three heads and it's, <laughs> it's jason was no exception he, he's not schooled he doesn't have theory he just basically does things because it sounds good or it sounds right to him mm-hmm. and when i try to correct it Okay, that's great, Jeff. Thank, thank you, thank you for your masterclass. But this is how the song goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's awesome. <laughs> I saw it, and I'm like, should I ask this? I'm like, why not? You said ask you anything, so I figured I would ask it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, and Billy Orico, who's actually the drummer for Angel, he chimed in. He said, in 2012, you were one of the vocalists along with Mark Martell for the Queen Extravaganza tour, and um, he just wanted you to speak a little bit about that whole experience. That was a lot of fun. Um, I got to be honest. The only reason I did it is because one, I got a, an invitation from Roger Taylor himself. The others all auditioned for that thing, and they had they had three singers for it. But they didn't. Out of the three singers, they they basically wanted enough singers to be able to cover the whole spectrum of Queen. But there wasn't one guy that could cover all the you know all the elaborate sides. The there's one guy, Mark Martell was great for the real nostalgic side of Freddie. Then they, they had a girl singer that they brought in. They had another guy that was really high, high singer. He had the really nice top end stuff, but they didn't have a rock edgy singer. So Roger asked me if I'd be interested in doing it and be kind of the rock representative of the queen extravaganza. So I said yes on that alone. And yeah, it was, it was a fun experience. Those guys are mega talented, the whole band, all all the musicians involved, singers, etc. So it was a lot of fun to do. Queen is one of my favorite bands of all time. So to be able to pull all those songs off live without any tracks, without it was amazing to be able to sing Bohemian Rhapsody from soup to nuts wow. live, you know, with no tracks. <sighs> That's a challenge. And so it, it was, it was a lot of fun recreating all those harmonies and all those, all those lush backing vocals. And it was just a lot of fun. And I got to do the rock stuff. I stone cold, crazy, tie your mother down, you know, that kind of stuff. And Mark and I did a great, great um, duet of under pressure, which was a lot of fun to do. So yeah, I, it was a great experience, but kind of the same answers with Journey. I think after a few years of doing it, I would get kind of sick of singing somebody else's legacy. Yeah. I think even yeah. if, if I lasted in Journey, 
especially knowing that the journey fans are basically they're the diehard core journey fans are only there to hear don't stop believing in any way you want etc there wasn't any real place to take journey where i could have actually made left my own mark like sammy hagar was able to do with van halen or bruce dickinson was able to do an iron maiden that ship had sailed and i think after a few years i probably would have walked from journey just the same because i basically would just be in a in a tribute band at that point right yeah i gotcha so in 89 you are in a band called christ the conqueror where basically you're kind of the lead singer of the misfits how does something like that all come together because I was not in the band. That was a paid session. I got, I didn't know anything about the Misfits. I wasn't a fan of that style of music. Wow. But the guys themselves, Mo and Jerry, uh, I mean, Mo and Doyle were so freaking cool. The greatest human beings. I, they, I really felt like a brotherhood around those guys. Nice. Uh, so I, I did the record basically as a hired gun. They were hoping that I would it would turn into a, a real situation where we could do it live and we could actually tour and all that. But it just wasn't it wasn't in my DNA to do that that kind of material. So right. I did the record just uh, as a paid session and and I walked from that from there. Yeah, and it's become album. like a cult underground favorite. But it, that's that was as far as it was, to me it was no different than what I did with Vinnie Vincent. Right. It's like punching a clock for that one. It was just such a pleasure to work with these guys. And of course, from there, I started doing my homework and get a little more education on who they were and what they were about. I was like, geez, I didn't realize I was actually working with rock royalty here. These guys are they're legends. The, wow. the, the, the whole thing that they, they they left behind was just legendary. So cool to be to, to also be a part of that that whole that whole scene, right. even inadvertently. Yeah, you're looking down the Misfits family tree and you're like, Jeff Scott's. Right. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's crazy when you think, even just put put all of that into perspective. Misfits, Queen, Journey, Ingve Malmsteen, Rockstar. It, it's just, it's, what? It's just crazy when you think about all the different flavors and, and the ingredients that it takes to, to be even in any of those bands. But the fact that I was able to pull them all off is a... It's it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's remarkable. It's a hell sure. of a career to look back on, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joey Casada is saying, ask him to confess his love for me. Oh, my God. That wrestling wannabe freak. <laughs> <laughs> he said, trust me, he'll get it. So I don't know what this story I, Absolutely. Is. <laughs> well, Joey, obviously, I, I don't know if you know who Joey is. Sure. He was in the band ZO2 with David Z and Paulie Z. Mm-hmm. And I met him. I, I, I saw them do a few shows before the band actually split up and and I've gotten to know Joey just through the Z brothers. And I, I love the guy. I love that band. I love the TV show. They had the Z rock thing. Yeah. He, Joey's <laughs> we have without being that close, we tease and pick on each other. Like we're the best of friends. And that's what I love about Joey. So he can go fuck himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the Easter egg for the show. <laughs> I'll just play. I'll just play. He could go fuck himself at the beginning, and people be like, "Who's he talking about?" Blabbermouth <laughs> oh, just got Soto tells episode. Joey Casado to go fuck himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. So, um, and I had a lot of people mention uh, this. The current band WET, I guess, or do you I, do you call it Wet, or do you just call it WET? It's called Wet. Yeah. Okay. It, and it's a project. It's a, it's a studio project that was. Um, pulled together by Serafino, the, the president of Frontiers Records. Uh, it was a pet project of his to take. It was kind of the beginning of all, you know, the, the makings of all these super groups and these, the collaboration groups that he's been doing. Uh, this was pretty much his first one. 
And it was an idea of just take these three strong songwriters and mm-hmm. see what they would come up with if you put them in the studio together. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It's a it's a studio project. We've done a few live shows here and there, but by no means are we looking to make this a regular thing like touring and uh, and another extension of what we're already doing. Right. Well, and I know I'm a I'm a massive fan of Eclipse. I think what Eric does is just incredible. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I he's, he's a great singer, songwriter, producer, all of the above, musician. Yeah. It's it's such a joy and a pleasure playing with those guys, recording with them, and hanging out with them. Yeah. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, the only two real things in my life are Soto and Sons of Apollo. Right now, those are the only two focuses. Everything else is stuff I'll do in between. Everything I'll do on the side. Right. But those two bands are my number one priority. So let's get into let's get into Soto because I know that that's the, one of the reasons we wanted you on is because you know we need to talk about this new record. So take us through uh, Origami. Like um, I, you know, I've li- listened to several of the tracks. It's it's incredibly well produced, well put together, well written. I mean, it it, it, it feel that and Sons of Apollo like they they feel like they're part of the same universe in a way. Like I I think they both kind of coincide well together. Well, they do, and that's also by design that we're on the same label as Sons of Apollo. Uh, it was because I'm, I'm working with those guys, I kind of planted the seed of who I am, and then I'm still a, a force to be reckoned with outside of this new group that I was fortunate enough to be asked to sing in front. The label and I've become re- really close, and when I told them I was working a new Soda record, they wanted to talk to me first before I took it anywhere else. From there, I was able to get soda on inside out music and i'm so happy about that because we're under the same umbrella for for a lot of reasons but the main one is that we can focus on the album cycles with with the proper perspective when the when the sons of apollo album first came out there was a jss album lumped in between and a wet album shortly thereafter Mm -hmm. and it was a little too much jss in one time in one in one lump and i think all those albums would have fared better if they were separated a little more and this is what I love about the Soto record. We can really concentrate it on this year while Sons of Apollo are recording a new album and the the guys are doing their other things. Mm-hmm. I could really concentrate on the focus of this band and this album. And then once that cycle's run the course, then I can start concentrating on the Sons of Apollo cycle. So that's exactly why, and even musically, we kind of, I, I told the guys, hey, we're going to be on a prog label now. Don't hold any bars back. If, if, you, if you get a little proggy-woggy, a little out there musically, more power to us because I think it'll be an easier sell for the label who normally have only prog bands mm-hmm. to for them to be able to kind of generate across to them. But we can also concentrate on the rock side of where we we're originally coming from. Right. That's cool. That's got to be a tough problem for the Jeff Scott Soto fans to have, huh? My favorite artist comes out with too many <laughs> albums. Oh man. Well, the funny thing, the, the, the fucked up thing about it all is. There's a lot of people complaining about Soto being too heavy or it's not it doesn't sound like wet, doesn't sound like JSS. Well guess what? It's not supposed to. Right. Soto is a band, it's an entity, it's its own brand, it's its own thing. It's not supposed to cross over to Talisman and all those other melodic hard rock things. Soto's supposed to be heavier and edgier, more modern and contemporary. That's exactly what I'm going into it for. Otherwise, why would I be doing it if it sounded like everything else? Why wouldn't I just stay with the things that sound like that? Right. You just so call it all the same. For all thing. intents and purposes, I'm not really trying to garner in or hook in the JSS fans because they're not going to like it. I'm trying to open myself up, open the band up to a whole dif- different audience. An audience doesn't even know who Jeff Scott Soto is, as far as I'm concerned. That's what I'm trying to push Soto towards because Soto deserves its own legs, its own branding, its own audience. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have to try to keep 
cross hybriding the, the 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 set list oh well we have to play i'll be waiting we have to play this particular ballad from this particular band because that's what jeff scott soto fans want i don't necessarily want to keep crossing the sets over that way mm-hmm. i want soto to be its own brand and its own thing the way sons of apollo is the way any of the other bands that i'm, I'm part of are yeah. that we don't have to rely on my past to pull up a set list right makes sense to me is that i mean and is that more exciting and fulfilling to have like a project like that where you can kind of throw all the energy into this is its own thing it's going to stand on its own and we're not going to rely on anything i did in the past or is it a scary thing to do that all of the above yeah it's it's scary because we get the resistance of the jss fans not really wanting it so therefore they're not going to support it and accept it so if we're doing a tour for instance or we're doing particular shows you have basically everybody's out there waiting for me to do a commercial hit from the past or something that's more familiar to them. Mm-hmm. And they're going to walk away disappointed because this is its own entity. But on the other hand, without the proper promotion, without the proper push and aiming and targeting the audience that we're trying to get, they're not there either. So yeah, we have kind of a double whammy problem we're dealing with. And that's why I'm so happy with the new label we're with. And, and I'm hoping that they finally see the vision and they, they know how to target the audience that we're actually going after. Right. That's cool. And one thing I noticed, I was watching some videos, some interviews and stuff you'd done with the band on the uh, on YouTube. And one thing I noticed is that the Soto band, they really seem like they got a lot of good chemistry, both on and off the stage. And that's one of the reasons why these guys were the, my first pick. In I didn't want a new band. When, when Soto came together, I did not want another new band, another new name, etc. But the first Soto album, for all intents and purposes, was the next Jeff Scott Soto solo record. But it was too heavy, it was too different, and it was too modern. At the time, the manager at the time I was working with said, dude, I'm not going to be able to shop this and get a deal on as a Jeff Scott Soto record. This sounds too much like a band. My recommendation is that we put a band name behind it and we brand it as a band. And I'm like, oh, geez, another name, another another thing you got to lump me with. And he said, make it simple. Call it Soto. It's it's already got your identification with it. Behind everybody knows it's you. Anybody that already knows who you are knows it's you. You don't have to say Soto featuring Jeff Scott Soto. That would be stupid. It would right. be unnecessary. Right. And from that, I was able to kind of rebrand myself and rebrand what I was doing with this with this new band, who were basically my solo band. They were the the hired guns that did my solo tours. And we had such a great chemistry live. I never treated these guys like they were my hired guns. I always treated them with the same respect as an actual real band. And, and I got that in return from their performances. And so from that, we, we built such a chemistry camaraderie that it was a no, it was a no-brainer when it was time to, to say, okay, this is going to be the new band. You guys want to be part of this. And let's just – now we're official. We're going to do things as a band, as a team. That's awesome. The man whose resume never stops growing. Are, yeah. you, are you guys going to hit the road for this? record uh we just announced a, a european tour that's that's going out in september uh we did a south american run a short one but to be honest with you i have to see a little more interest i have to see a little more uh in terms of people getting on board with what we're doing here because you book tours to promote records but if nobody's showing up mm-hmm. you're pissing in the wind so to speak mm-hmm. and I would rather demand the demand catch up with the actual the level of what we're doing and what people could expect us to do right. because I want the band to go out there and play for people not just to go out there and promote a record and nobody shows up. Right. So that's exactly what we're doing. We're the, the album's out now. The record company's about to go into high gear with the promotion. If we can get enough interest out there, I'd love to take this world worldwide with this band. 
I suppose that's got to be extra tough for a band like Soto because you guys are from all different corners of the globe, aren't you? Right. I got, we're representing three continents, yes. Wow. But to be honest with you, even a band like Sons of Apollo, with that pedigree, with the level of uh, musicianship we have in the band, et cetera, even we had a – it was a it, not a rough start, but it was – the same rough start any new band would have. It wasn't right out of the gate, just successful and selling out. So you got to earn your stripes, man. You can't just go out there just because you're a super group or people think you're going out there with capes, you right. know, that you're going to be selling tons of tickets. You still got to go out there and prove yourself and earn it. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, a lot of, a lot of older musicians or older bands, I'm noticing a trend. It's like, it seems like the ones that kind of, tend to do well with their projects are incredibly active through the social media thing. I know they may not like it, but it seems to be like, it's like you have to sort of feed the beast and then others that, you know, don't tend to do well. They just like, they, well, our record company put it out, go buy it. And it, I mean, do you, right, I, right, right. you had, it seems like you really have to work the social media a lot these days. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's the new medium, you know, it's, it, it, everything's changed and you kind of got to roll with the changes or you, you die with the changes. So, you accept them and you learn how to utilize them. And that's exactly what a lot of us have done or have had to do. It took me a while to get into the whole game. I, I didn't like it at first. I th thought it was, you know, I thought it was more for, uh, for dating and, and meeting people in, in that sense. I, I never liked the idea behind it in the sense of uh, needing it to actually promote yourself. But when you think about it, it's but free promotion. It's not, it's not too shabby when you get to go, you don't have to pay somebody for the amount of exposure that you normally would have back in the day. Right. And it's, it's, it's you can reach your exact fan. Yeah. It's like, it seems like it's a great, exactly. It's a great level of interaction you with, with the fans that you, you never had back in the day. Yeah. It's, it's got, it's, it's plus and minuses like everything else, sure. but uh, you, you roll with the punches, you learn to, how to, how to make them your own and, and you see what you can do from there. That's and that's the game. That's cool. I really like the new album. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and I was going to say, anybody listening to this, as soon as you're done, you need to go and check out the video for the song Hypermania. Yeah. Man, oh, yeah. that is crazy. Tell us about this insane video for this awesome song. Well, the, we use the same director that, we, uh, that did the first video for us. Um, the very first album was a song called Break. And we had to, again, because exactly what you said, we all live in different corners of the earth. We had to film it in our own home territories. And then this guy pieced it together, trying to make it look like we were together in it. Oh, wow. um, this time around, we were able to do our, our filming, even though we're not together in the same scenes. We were together in the same building when we were shooting our scenes. And this guy's such an amazing, Tiago Kiss is his name. It's, it's a really cool name. It's what a rock and roll name, Tiago Kiss. He's a Brazilian, uh, he's a musician himself, but he's also a director, photographer, and, and he just has great imagery ideas. Even when he sent the treatment, I'm like, dude, I don't know if we can afford this. This is like a real video. He said, no, 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 I'm doing this within the budget of what I was told that we have to make this video. So nice. he really went all out for us. And I, I couldn't be happy with it. It's just, it's creepy, scary, cool, modern, edgy, all of the above. It's, it's got all the pieces of exactly what I want Soto to be seen and represented as. Yeah, it's wild. You got to check it out if you haven't seen it. Yeah. So, um, so let's just wrap things up and uh, I thank you. Thank Wait. you. Oh, what? I've got a couple more questions. Oh, you do. Okay, oh, go I ahead. Do. My I apologies. Do. Being that Decibel Geek is recorded and produced right here in Nashville, Tennessee, we can't help but spend any amount of time that we're allowed to with Michael Wagner. We've had good talks with Michael Wagner about all the cool stuff he's done in his career. I got kind of a two-part question for you. Number one. 
how awesome is Michael Wagner? And two, are we ever going to hear the version of See You on the Other Side by Ozzy with you on vocals? <laughs> That's amazing. I, I, I'm so bummed. Well, first of all, yeah, part one, what an amazing guy. What an amazing producer, amazing human being. Just it's such a joy to be in the same room with this guy, mm-hmm. especially work with him. So but uh, yeah, I, I met him obviously through Saigon Kick when we did the first, was background vocals on the first album. And he brought me in to do these vocals that was originally supposed to be vocals for or backing vocals for two songs for Ozzy to kind of map them out and get him ready to, to, to kind of demo them or whatever. I think it was only the end portion that was missing. So we were trying to build a backing vocal part, like a choir kind of thing, but there was no lead vocal for us to bounce off. So I, he he had me listen to the majority of the song, and he said, maybe, can you try just ad-libbing the way Ozzy would at the end here? And that's exactly what I did. I did some, I actually sounded like Ozzy. I, I, I thought what Ozzy would put here, and from that, we were able to build a backing vocal section. But that was a lot of fun, and I, I love Wagner so much. I, I run into him pretty much every year on the Monsters of Rock cruise, and what a phenomenal guy. Yeah, we yeah, love him. That's awesome. Very cool. So speaking of Michael Wagner, Michael Wagner's talked to us before, and he's talked about a Pink Umbrella song. Now, what a Pink Umbrella song is, is a song that an artist may have recorded or had a hand in years ago, never really took off, never really did anything. But someday, someday, damn it, somebody's going to find this amazing song and do something with it so big that it's going to put me on a beach with a drink with a Pink Umbrella Jeff, what's your pink umbrella song? Hypermania. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going new school. I'm going the one that just came out. I, I love this song so much. It's got such a cool modern vibe. It's got all the elements of what you would expect from me, but it's also got elements what you wouldn't expect from me. It's it's got the heavy factor. It's commercial. It's modern. It's cool as shit. And then the video's cool as shit that goes along with it. I hope this song resonates especially like i said the label's about to kick into high gear with the promotions this week starting it's starting up this week so i'm hoping that song hits it now but if it doesn't i'm hoping that when i'm 70 years old and in a, in a beach with a pink umbrella drink that somehow it's it actually gives me a second drink you know that's I, I really do have a lot of uh, hope for this song Wow, that's impressive, especially considering your resume and output over the years is about 10 miles long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say I'm a Viking. I don't think that's going to resonate towards a newer, younger generation eventually. No, I don't see that as something for a Nissan commercial someday. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Volvo. Maybe Volvo. Volvo. (laughs) That's cool. All right, I've got one more. And I've been dying to ask this because this is a band you don't ever hear of. And I know you've been in the studio with so many different great bands over the years, helping out, you know, thick up their sound, make their vocals a little better. But this is one of my all-time favorite bands. They only really Striper. officially came out with one album. No, it's not Striper, but oh, they're awesome, okay, too. okay, all right, all right. No, this is one that... The Against the Law album. This, this is an underrated band that a lot of people don't talk about. Everybody loves Striper. I'm talking about Pariah, the album To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. This band, I always felt... That was like, Tamaka Killingbird, To Tamaka Killingbird, that's right, of course. Yeah. If if this band could have had the opportunity that they should have had, I think they could have been just amazing and had an amazing career. I think maybe they were a little too late for what they were that's releasing. That's exactly what it was, yeah. They, they like, were a little late at the game. A few years earlier, I think that album would have been huge. It's To me, yeah. it's, it's an amazing album with some great, great songs on it. 
What was your experience working with Pariah on that album? Very little. They were all kids. They were they were just fresh out of I don't know high school or, or maybe a couple of years after high school. They, yeah, were, they were just young. kids. I mean, I remember meeting them in the studio when I was doing the backing vocals. I felt like such a grandpa next to them. They were from Austin. They had a a great, great album. They had a lot of great songs, but unfortunately, they were day late, dollar short, as they say. And strangely enough, the one of the band members was dating somebody that became a big movie star eventually. That was That's Renee right. Zellweger. I met her at that session. She was a nobody. She was she wasn't even. She still lived in Austin and wasn't even pursuing acting at that point because she was so young and. And it was just, uh, it's amazing to say I met her then, but she wouldn't know me from Adam at this point. Right. Um, and again, yeah, that that's the last record I did with Tom Worman before he went into retirement and then brought me back in to do the Rockstar soundtrack. Wow. Yeah, I always love that album. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about it, but it's so good. Yeah, we've spun tracks uh, from that several times on the show. Yeah, it's good stuff. Right. All right. Mm. We got any other great grab bag questions uh, the, or anything? Well, you brought up Striper. Can, um, can you explain a little bit about your involvement on the Against the Law record? Well, I met those guys my first tour with Ingve. Um, They were big fans. I, I think I met Oz at our show in Pomona, and I was a huge fan of theirs before I even joined Ingve. So we became friends instantly just out of the respect for one another. Um, I used to go see them all the time. They would always have me as a guest, you know, on the guest list to come see them. And and one time they were playing at uh, Six Flags. Uh, Six Flags had a an outdoor stage, kind of like a mini amphitheater stage. And they were headlining that. And I was planning to go see them anyways. And they uh, they asked me if I would come out and duet with Michael. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So that's the first time I actually sung with Michael. I think it was like 87 or 86. Man, it was a long time ago. So from that, and that's also before I met Tom. I met Tom Worman at that session. It was the same thing. I got a call from Michael. He said, hey, dude, we we normally only, we never bring any outside singers or musicians, et cetera. But for this album, we want a tougher sound. We're, we're getting, it's just our first secular album. Mm -hmm. So I want it to sound tough and, and more just hardcore. Yeah. We're, it's going to be heavier. It's going to be, it, it, but when we sing together, it sounds too angelic. Would you come in and try a couple things to see if we can thicken up our sound? I ended up singing on the whole record with them because they, they loved the timbre of my voice mixed in with theirs. And it really had a, a new, fresh, exciting sound. Mm -hmm. And that's, I worked so fast and so well with those guys that Tom Worman remembered me. That's how we started our relationship of him hiring me for every backing vocal session he did until he retired. That's cool. Wow. But yeah, it was, it was a great thing on that record. From that, I, I sang a kind of like a duet line as well as uh, backing vocals for a song that they did on the greatest hits album. And that's just before they split up, before the the first split up, I right. guess. But uh, I think they were they needed an, the greatest hits was uh, fulfilling their contract with Hollywood Records, and then they put a, a song that Michael wrote for the troops during the uh, the Iraq thing that was going on in the early '90s. So that was again uh, an honor to be. I was singing like a counter lead vocal line to Michael Sweet on a Striper song. There's like, dude, you kidding me? This is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> That's two pretty amazing vocalists in one room. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. That's awesome. It, yeah. Cool, man. This has been a great time talking to you. And um, where can people pick up uh, Soto Origami? Well, like, what's what's the best place to go to find out more about it? Well, if you're from the ages of uh, <laughs> nine to say. 30 i would say hit it up on spotify on itunes on uh i'm sorry apple music itunes is on its way out uh youtube all the 
all the social media outlets that play music and you find music for everybody over 30 or over 40 obviously you can find it on amazon i don't know if there's any, even any record stores existing or if they'll even be carrying it but clearly you'll have to order it through the the website that that sell music and uh amazon's probably the best bet you can buy the the hard copy it's out on vinyl just the same we have colored vinyl it's it's a whole to do i i love the way this label is treating us that's great. Hey, whippersnappers, quit making fun of my CD collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like hey, I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, we're surrounded. I still love by... holding product and reading where where things were done and who's on. I, I like seeing the names behind the actual uh, performances on a song, yes. as opposed to just oh, what does this band look like? Who cares? I like the song. That's right. that's a mentality today. Or you just pick up any random CD and open it up and look at the sleeve and be like, wow, Jeff Scott Soto's on this too. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that old guy's still around? <laughs> <laughs> He's on every one of these. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> well, man, this has been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to do it. You got it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And It was a, it was a lot of fun going down memory lane here. Awesome. All right, Thanks, take care, man. Jeff. All right, take care, guys.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 